What is it about you or what is it about your leadership style that has put you in that position? Be a servant leader. I think that's kind of my style is definitely lead by example, serve the guys around me. And once they kind of feel that energy, then you have those moments where when it's your time to shine, man, you take the bull by the horns and you, you make it rip. That's where you're able to kind of have that confidence and conviction to step up um, and lead the guys, whether you're a rookie, undrafted cat, whether you're a 10 year vet, whatever, as long as you're standing on what you believe in and it's honest and it's true. I think that's where true leadership kind of evolves from. If you do that right, more doors and opportunities are going to open for you. If you do it wrong, you may be stuck in that situation forever. And that's your resume, right? Once we sign that contract and it's on the dotted line, man, it's all in the way you do things, how you approach it, how you show up to work every single day. That's your legacy. No one's going to know how many catches I had, how many yards I had. That doesn't really matter. What does matter is how I showed up, how I treated people, how I served the guys above me, how I treated people across the entire organization. You have that choice. You have that perspective to choose how you approach things, how how you bring energy and attitude to the table uh, and bring that job to life. All right, welcome back to Spartan Leadership, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Kosnick, and I am excited today. I'm rocking my Bucky shirt. I've been looking forward to today's conversation for a while now with a friend, Alec Ingold. I want you to listen in here because today we have a real special treat. We got Badger football alum. That's why we're the Bucky for him today. Uh, active Miami Dolphins fullback but author and founder of the Ingold Family Foundation, I think would, uh, Alec would say he's most proud of at this point. Uh, please join me in uh, welcoming my friend, Alec Ingold. Brother, how are you doing today? Yeah, man. A lot of hyphens on the intro, man. I appreciate that. It's uh, the more you can do, right? The more you can do, the more you stick around. Well, I think, uh, you know, you're just getting started. I mean, you're a young dude and uh, you already have that many hyphens. I didn't even add in there. You were also a uh, Walter Payton man of the year candidate. At, was that last year? That was a couple of years ago back in Vegas, but yeah, yeah, another one of those things that you can, you can throw on there. It's uh, it's been a lot. It's been cool. Um, yeah. Now down in Miami going into year five and it, it goes like a blink of an eye, man. It's uh, it's crazy how fast everything kind of changes. Yeah. Well, I know it's it's really cool to see too uh, from our end because I got to know you when you're up here a little bit in Madison. Um, but right, you're playing a position that isn't, uh, you know, isn't the premier position. I don't know if you'd say this, but you know, not every team is carrying a fullback nowadays, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say we're a little fraternity. I'd say it's probably maybe 10 to 15 teams, maybe half um, yeah, teams. that use us. And then there's probably four or five of us that get used quite a bit. So yeah, few and far between, man, that's for sure. Well, that's crazy. And it's, it's really cool though. I mean, so you think about that. Uh, so I played high school football. Most of you that listen to the show know that I played college football. So you think about all the high school athletes. Now I didn't, I played D three. So I was not at the caliber uh, of Alec when he was in college, let alone the Alec that now is in the uh, professional league. But I think it's about uh, 1% of high school football athletes make it to collegiate at any level. And it isn't about a half a percent of collegiate that make it to the NFL? 
Yeah. It's uh, once you get to the NFL, it's like the 1% of the 1%. And then there's yeah. even, you can go even past that. And it's like, if you're fully vested. So um, it's like three or four years. If you play three games, you're considered fully vested, you get benefits. And like, that's another one of those, like 1% of the 1%. And you can go all the way down to guys that have played 10 years in the NFL. So um, man, that thing, you know, yeah. that ladder gets pretty narrow once you get all the way to the top of it, but um, it's cool to be a part of it. And it's cool to kind of see, how many lessons translate, whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, whatever level, whether you're in the league, you played one snap or you play 20 years. Um, it's all about kind of your approach, your mindset, how you get to the game, uh, how you kind of, you know, I had a guy explain it to me. Like when I had to move from the, the Raiders to the dolphins, like all of those lessons, the way that you play the game, the way that you show up, like you learn how to do it, but you really can't draw from that bank account that you built up with your boys back, you know what I'm saying? Like everything changes, the circumstances yeah. change. So, um, but those lessons that you learn, the way that you build your bank account, the way that you build your respect, the community that you build in a locker room, like that doesn't change. And that's where so many parallels come from business to athletics, where I think that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I just, I find it so impressive to watch you from afar uh, for you to become a leader on the football team and a non-premium position and I hate even saying that because I'm not trying to demean that we just talked about it, right? There's only half the teams that carry a fullback and you go into the league and uh, now you're become a quickly a, a leader in the locker room in Vegas and now a leader in the locker room in Miami. What, what do you think separates the leadership in the locker rooms from, and how have you so quickly in a, again, a non-premium position, be able to ascend to that spot where people are looking to you at such a young age to be a leader and a rock for them. What is it about you or what is it about your leadership style that is, that has put you in that position? I think being a leader is a, uh, that's a tough one because it needs to be genuine. It needs to be real, right? Like you want to, there's one aspect of it where you need to pay your dues. You need to work hard. You need to do all the right things yourself, right? You're never going to ask somebody to do something that you're not doing. Uh, and it takes time. It takes patience. It takes all those virtues. But at the same time, you kind of have to stand on something too. Like you have to stand on what you believe in. You have to be like a little bit convicted in that internally. So that externally, man, you're living what you're walking, what you're talking. It's all the same. And I think when you get around enough guys, you have enough vulnerable conversations, you're able to serve them, um, be a servant leader. I think that's kind of my style is definitely lead by example, serve the guys around me. And once they kind of feel that energy, then you have those moments where when it's your time to shine, man, you take the bull by the horns and you, you make it rip. And I think that once you build enough of those moments, uh, people kind of know the type of man you are, that's where you're able to kind of have that confidence and conviction to step up um, and lead the guys, whether you're of rookie undrafted cat, whether you're a 10 year vet, whatever, as long as you're standing on what you believe in and it's honest and it's true. I think that's where true leadership kind of evolves from. Wise, wise words. So speaking of leadership, I was uh, thinking about your, your play. You've played for two historic franchises, you know, and they haven't been in the Super Bowl in, in some time, either of them, but they are truly two of the storied franchises of the NFL. And uh, what have you noticed about the differences in leadership from the top down of those two organizations? Uh, good, good, bad, ugly, however you view it. Um, I'm not trying to say one thing or another. I just, I know that not every organization is run the same. Trust me, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. You grew up in Green Bay. We know the last 30 years how that's looked in that rivalry. So, uh, uh, 
Now, Chicago, my boys seem to be tra- uh, trending in the right direction under uh, polls and his leadership. But uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that d- dichotomy and the leadership difference you've noticed in the organizations. I think it's really cool uh, because they're so different. You know, I embrace this this Raider culture, kind of the bad boy outlaw type of feel, right? You show up, you're gritty, you work hard, you're Gruden grinder, all that stuff, right? Like you buy into that aspect of things um, from ownership all the way down to general managers, head coaches. There's this whole power dynamic like you talk about, right? And those fingerprints, like if someone is convicted or they know how to articulate their vision for you, I feel like that's where there's a lot of power in that. So think about not being a premier guy, right? I'm a role player. And man, if we're building the the Las Vegas Raider house, you know, and it's Mark Davis and he has this idea of the iconic Raider, what it's supposed to look like. And then he hires a coach that can do that. He hires a general manager that can do that. And Gruden and Mayock, man, they let us know, they build the team, they build the contractors, they get everybody out to build it exactly how it's supposed to look. And if my job as a fullback is the the ceiling fans, like I'm going to make my ceiling fans as perfect as possible in this house to make sure it matches everything else about the house. And if I can do that, I can get a little bit more of a role. Maybe I can work somewhere else. Maybe I can help somebody else on what they're doing. Eventually you're building the house exactly how it's supposed to look. You kind of flip that over to the dolphins. You know, it's maybe not as gritty, but it's like, you need to be athletic. You need to be smart. You need to be dependable mindful, intentional, you know, that's what we preach, right? So all of those messages, that's how the dolphins are building this house. And whatever my job is, I need to buy all the way into it. I need to have conversations with head coaches, with general managers, with position coaches, with other teammates, so that we're all communicating, we're all on the same page. You know, I don't have to be looking over my shoulder at what else, what other people are doing. I can just focus on my job, my role, and have that blind faith and that trust that the people around you are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. But yeah, that uh, that South Beach house looks a lot different than the Vegas house, right? Like it's not <laughs> not the same environment, not the same community, um, but they're different. And I think that's where if you get articulated, like what your role is and what your job is, man, master that role. Master that role and don't look back. Trust the people above you. Trust the people around you that they're all doing their job. And then you look up after a year's long work and you can kind of be proud of what you put together. Yeah, that, that is very sage advice uh, to, I think, too often young people nowadays have an entitlement feeling and they don't or they feel like they may know more than the leadership that's come before them that's paid some of those dues. And to an extent, you might be right, but you also don't have the perspective and experience that that ownership or that leader may have in whether it's a corporate organization or a football organization. So it is having some faith in those above you. Now, you do have to pick your head up above water, you know, so every every year or for in your case, after the end of the season, does this organization, does this leader fit my values, so on and so forth, but really, really owning and mastering your craft and your role in the interim, once you commit and you said, yep, I'm signing on or I'm taking this role or I'm taking this salary, whatever it is, I got to become a master of my craft and buy into the vision and be as good as I dang well can. And if you do that right, more doors and opportunities are going to open for you. If you do it wrong, you may be stuck in that situation forever. And that's your resume, right? I feel like that respect factor you're talking about at Wisconsin, like I respect all those teams in the nineties, the Barry Alvarez, the Chris McIntosh, the Ron Danes, right? Like they built the foundation that we are able to then put a fingerprint on. 
And it's like, that's where you come out to the dolphins. You respect Dan Marino. You respect the 72 dolphins. You respect Larry Zonka and what they've built so that you can go to hard rock and, and go play in a world-class facility. But at the same time, yeah, once we sign that contract and it's on the dotted line, man, it's all in. That's a part of your resume. That's who you are. And then the way you do things, how you approach it, how you show up to work every single day, that's your legacy. That's how people talk about you. That's how people remember you is how you showed up on a consistent basis. It's not the stats. No one's going to know how many catches I had, how many yards I had, you know, that doesn't really matter. What does matter is how I showed up, how I treated people, how I served the guys above me, how I treated people across the entire organization. And man, there's so many parallels between like you're saying, once you sign that contract, once you take that salary, man, um, it is a job, but you have that choice. You have that perspective to choose how you approach to things, how, how you bring energy and attitude to the table, uh, and bring that job to life. Yes. And you never know, you never know who's going to come back to you in your life that had an experience with you at that previous organization and be like, Hey, I really experienced you in a bad light, or I really experienced you in a good light. And you may cost yourself a future opportunity by acting yep. a fool now because you didn't think that job was worth it, or you were above it or any of that nature, or just didn't give your full effort out of immaturity. And you cost yourself a very uh, lucrative future, because someone is always watching. And so I, yeah. I love that message. That's right. um. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I skipped over and I want to make sure we get some context because you came from up north in Wisconsin. It was just outside Green Bay, right? Yep. North of, uh, north of Green Bay, Swamico, Wisconsin. Yeah. Swamico. So what, what's the population up there? I don't even know. I'm in Wisconsin. I don't even know the population of that town. I, I don't even know. I think it's a village now. So it used to be like, you know, a little township or whatever. I don't know. It's growing. It's getting bigger, okay. but it definitely was. Uh, <laughs> it, it definitely is a village. Yeah. So take us back and some of the lessons you got from coming from small town Midwest to going to the University of Wisconsin before uh, leading to your, you know, now going coming up on five years in the NFL. I think there's a great balance growing up there to have the roots of being a good human being, of treating people with respect, of having a community that invests in you. You know, I think small town Midwest, Wisconsin, that's all about, um, investing in the people around you, coaches, teachers, it's a small town, right? So every conversation you had, just like you were talking about earlier, like any conversation you have with somebody is being had with 30 other people, right? And it's all going to get back to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa <laughs> and everyone knows somebody, right? So having that awareness is, um, <laughs> it was taught at a very young age and, and just treating people with respect, knowing that man, grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, they're always watching, right? They're always going to have an ear to the ground. And um, not that that's why you do it, but um, you, you kind of learn those lessons through those, those messages. So to be able to kind of translate that into making it to the NFL, you invest in those people, you invest in that community. It does take a village to have someone chase their dreams, right? To be curious, to ask teachers questions, to be able to, to relate with them outside of whatever environment, you know, them in, right? So a football coach can become a lifelong best friend because you're willing to take that step to take car rides, to take trips, to, to invest in them in different levels. And then when you hit rock bottom, when you hit those valleys, when you go undrafted and those same people are there with you, helping you regenerate, stay motivated, stay locked in, giving you the messages you need to hear in those valleys so that you can reach new peaks. Uh, that's kind of what growing up in Swamico taught me. And I think I'll, I'll never forget that. And I feel like those are the people that you're always going to invest in because they've been there since day one. 
That's so good. And and I've witnessed, I know some of the people in your inner circle, um, and you've put very, very wise people in your inner circle. And I wonder, is there a correlation or with how you were raised or your parents or just some, some of how you described? Because I see a lot of professional athletes or, or people of, it doesn't even have to be professional athletes, it could be people of means, people that make a lot of money, uh, whether it's through music or otherwise, or, or even in corporate world but they surround themselves with a bad circle and all of a sudden bad choices start happening. You've purposely put some really wise people in your corner to the point I want to actually, I don't think you'll mind me sharing this, but like I brought my friend Ben Newman up to speak at an event at my organization and, uh, and I had him at carbon world health and you happened to be there that day, uh, listening to him speak. And for those that didn't listen to Ben Newman's episode that I had him on, he's a world-class speaker, works with NFL athletes, teams, college, collegiate teams, Alabama, Michigan state, Kansas state, and then also corporate leaders as well. Um, I didn't, you and I didn't know each other then you didn't know Ben then, but after he spoke, you reached out to him, right? Yeah, that was uh, the first introduction. I knew him from, he was, he used to work at NDSU and I knew a coach there at one time. So I got out there, kind of took that uncomfortable first step to make that introduction. But I think having that self-awareness of who you are and like what your values are, I think that kind of helps you not be around yes men, the people that just want to make you feel good. If you're truly striving for something, if you want to be special, if you want to serve other people, like if that's all you talk about, like, you are what you attract, right? You attract what you are and different people that get put in that corner, man, if you stay rooted and you don't, you don't take the pats on the back, you know, you, you want to improve, you have that growth mindset. All of a sudden you're attracted to other people that are like that, that are on their own path, that are blazing trails, that are inspiring belief in other people. So when you feel that, when you see it, when you go to a speaker, when you, you have all these different interactions, I feel like then it's just, it's natural. And people are able to pick up on that and that genuine ability to kind of network uh, kind of just takes care of itself. But it also took an act of courage on your part, right? That uncomfortableness to, because to, at that point you weren't in the NFL. I believe you were in your senior year at Wisconsin or, or right in between there going to uh, hopefully get drafted. Uh, and that's when you reached out to Ben. So it was an act of courage for you to, to really step out there and ask him uh, even just to, to be into your life at that point at all. So uh, kudos to you on that part. Um, have you seen or noticed uh, um any mistakes that people make let's talk about the opposite side uh this because i've seen it i want to get your experience because obviously we uh, well i shouldn't say obviously maybe most don't know how many people go broke that play in the nfl and make millions of dollars but i believe the number is north of 80 percent correct yeah it's somewhere 75 80 85 percent it's it's bananas to to see that so what are you seeing from the opposite side where people have made some major mistakes in putting some of those yes men or women in their circle and other things that they're doing incorrectly that are that are causing that? Yeah, it's been tough, uh, especially just growing up and seeing rookies that are a little, um, how do I put this, just like stubborn, you know, setting your ways and not willing to be curious, very judgmental people. Um, and I don't think that should determine how you approach your relationships with those types of people, right? Like if they are set in their ways, they're going to do how they're going to do because they made it to the league and that's their goal. And, and that's what they wanted, man. Good for them. 
and be a resource to that person. Do right by them as best you can, no matter what, right? You're never going to give up on somebody, but you do kind of see guys around the league that show up, get the money. And that was the goal. And I don't know if you can really blame anybody for blowing through money or doing their thing or, or acting different than you might act because man, what was their goal? What was their purpose? If it was to buy your mom a house, when you, you show up and, and that was the dream and that was the vision that you've been chasing since you're five, and then you're able to do it, man, it's, it takes a different, it's a different cut of cloth type of person to be able to do something that you've set your mind to since you're five, six, seven, eight years old. And then to, to find something else, to find a new mountain to climb. You know, a lot of people, once they get to that spot, it's cool. We're, we're going to put it in cruise control. We're going to put it in neutral. We're not going to drive anymore. We're not going to strive anymore. And being around those guys, it is tough to kind of see those lessons learned the hard ways, but then you also see how they're able to bounce back, how they're able to kind of use the traits and how they've gotten to the NFL and then flip it to some sort of corporate space or some sort of entrepreneurship space or invest in a friend that has some restaurant that's able to turn it around. So Man, I've seen a lot of horror stories, but I've also seen a lot of those guys that you stay in touch with be able to kind of hit that bankruptcy, start from scratch, and then get all of that entrepreneurship spirit all the way back, right? Because they're at square one again, and then they're able to refocus on something else. Yeah, because you don't lose that uh, that gene that's in you of competitiveness, right? So that's where we I see, you know, a lot of athletes go into the sales space, whether it's financial advisory, mortgage entrepreneurship, whatever, uh, like they're because in sales, you're competing. And so you're just channeling the energy that you once had in the NFL, to channel that into the professional light. It's uh, just getting some guidance from some good mentors, joining some good groups, and again, surrounding yourself with good people that are going to allow you to take off in that space as well. So sometimes it is like you said, learning those hard lessons, unfortunately, uh, to pull themselves back up and use those genes and characteristics that they built to become a high level athlete to take it to a, a totally different level. Yeah, it would always be better if we didn't have to learn it the hard way. But I mean, sometimes, sometimes you do. And sometimes those are the best lessons, right? Like hitting rock bottom sometimes makes you the most self aware you could possibly be and able to climb bigger mountains than you even could have imagined at, at the beginning. Yeah. And I can even say for myself, like there's blessings in some in, in those valleys. And uh, the, you may think that you're at your worst spot in your life. And it's like, it's a dichotomy. It's like, it can also be the greatest blessing. The worst instance in your life can also be the best blessing. And, and I know that doesn't resonate for, for a lot of people as I say that, but trust me, when you get to that point and then you get through it, there's an amazing view that you have of the world and yourself on the other side of it. So that's, that's a, what uh, coach, Mc, coach McDaniel first team meeting, he says, adversity is an opportunity. And it's like, I had just written a book on that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's one of the team rules that we have for the dolphins. And to be able to, to see that and relate to that, it's like, dude, literally wrote a book on it. And now he's, he's coaching leading men that are on that same thing, that, that dichotomy that you're talking about. It's, it's cool to hear different people from different experiences and different backgrounds, be able to relate to the very same message. 
Yeah. Hey, real quick on McDaniel. I saw this meme last year that was hilarious. And uh, maybe you've seen it, but it was like, uh, Coach McDaniel looks like that guy or that kid whose dad left the company to him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I don't remember the exact wording, but are you get what I'm saying? Um, how is his lead? What is his leadership style? He seems like just an interesting, like a fascinatingly smart human being, but also kind of an odd duck. But I'm like, he is so far away from it. Yeah, no, he is himself and he's vulnerable. He's real. And I feel like it's, it's an acquired taste for a lot of guys. Once you're getting into it, you're like, okay, this is different than any coach that I've ever been around. But with as smart as he is, the way he can whip up plays, the way that he can teach it to people and break it down to the most basic fundamental instructions is like, that's the, that's the mindset. That's the, that's the understanding of the game, but then the boldness to be able to rally a group of guys on a vision, on a mission and stick with it. You know what I'm saying? Like we went through some ups and downs this year as a team, winning a lot, losing a lot, all the outside noise with everything we had going on. Um, but to have the conviction with inside himself and the confidence to be like, no, this is what we said we were going to do. This is how we're going to finish this thing. And going up into Buffalo and a, a wild card game with your third string quarterback and giving them all that they could handle. I mean, that was yeah. kind of the type of leadership that he brought was like, we're going to scheme them up. We're going to know what we're going to do and we're going to know how we're going to do it. Yeah. That, well, there is true genius in that. Not only being wicked smart, the true genius is being that smart and being able to break it down so that everyone else can understand it and buy into it. That's genius. So uh, that's, that's really cool to hear. So let's talk a little bit about the foundation. Cause we started talking about uh, some financial stuff as we were talking about, uh, some of the players and the yes men that get around them. But there's there's another way I want our listeners to to understand you as a person and also potentially contribute to your mission, the Ingold Family Foundation. Tell us what you have going on, because I know it has to do with financial literacy, which you know and the audience knows is a financial or a uh, passion of mine with my financial industry background. So I want everyone to hear about this. Man, it's been really cool. The the genesis of this idea really came from uh, 2018, no, 2019, we're sitting in a team meeting and trying to figure out what the team is going to do for raising awareness. What, what is the team going to do? And it was police reform, it was social justice, and it was financial literacy. And a lot of guys are like, man, I didn't, you know, I didn't know my mom was on my credit for 15 years. I didn't know that I, I needed a credit card. I, I got drafted, um, two years ago and tried to get an apartment and they wouldn't let me in. And I have enough money to buy the entire apartment complex, but they wouldn't let me in just to rent an apartment. You know, there's all these stories of all these guys, whether it's credit, whether it was just budgeting, writing a check, you know, people weren't hearing that. And I'm sitting there with a personal finance major out of the university of Wisconsin. I was like, I got to do something about this. So we created a money mini camp, which is basically the fundamentals, we go an inch deep, a mile wide on a number of things that we kind of progress to, right? So we teach kids that are underserved populations in Madison, Milwaukee, um, the Wisconsin area, where we're focusing on how to write a check, how to budget, not only the financial literacy aspect of things, but then also the professional development, how to shake a hand, how to communicate, how to network, how to dress for success. And we go through a two-day deal, and we've been doing that for the past few years now, um, where we're, we're able to kind of see and partner with a bunch of different organizations and see these kids light bulbs flick, right? They're not thinking about 
you know, hopping on TikTok and Instagram as much as, oh, maybe I can make a shop with my friend on Etsy. You know, that entrepreneurship spirit kind of comes out. Yeah. Having kids that show up really timid and then all of a sudden they're willing to share in front of an entire group that they want to be an astronaut someday because that's their dream and their goal. You know, those are the type of conversations that we're having with these kids and developing them through a two-day process and then be able to stick with it, whether it's through junior achievement, through their school district, uh, to be able to kind of continuously give messages straight out of the locker room, straight out of the NFL into their classroom where, you know, we, we want to talk about budgeting or credit. Here's one of my guys who literally had this nightmare of a credit situation. Why don't you listen to your teacher today when you talk about credit? And then all of a sudden, all the ears perk up. Everyone's dialed in because so-and-so had this, you know, a highlight reel that they saw on YouTube a week ago, and now they're telling them to pay attention on credit. So uh, it's been really cool. Uh, it's been, you know, I think we've impacted over 600 kids over the past few years, whether it's in person or virtual. Uh, and it feels like we're just getting started, just kind of gaining traction and really getting our, our blueprint figured out. Well, as you're probably teaching them, I just want to bring this attention to you is uh, if you think about that, you've been doing this for three, four years now. You're going to have a thing about six years from now and you look backwards 10, there's going to be a compound interest that you hit of of these kids going on and whether it's one story 10 stories 100 stories a thousand stories that you're going to hear going forward and how you impacted like the dividends that's going to pay emotionally for you to keep going dude it's going to be awesome uh it's really I cool to wait for to... that moment for you because i know that you're already uh hearing some of the the positive things but when those kids are in their 20s and able to point back at some of the things you taught them when they're you know 10 11 12 it's gonna be really cool man, you're building a community and it's like yeah. grassroots, right? Like it's not, we're not trying to hit thousands of kids at a time and just sending them videos, like to be able to have that relationship and to bring guys in there and to create an environment together where they're including, we're including stuff like to kind of build an environment together. I feel like that's where you're able to really impact lives. And like you said, you know, we're not going to feel those residuals till maybe a decade from now, but uh, it's, it's going to be cool, man. I, I'm really excited to see what how this whole thing takes off. Well, it's such a, it's such a needed space. Like this is, these are things that should be taught to us in school and they're not. Uh, in fact, only seven States out of 50 mandate a personal finance course in high school. So unless you're like Alec and choose personal finance as a major, which probably less than a half a percent of the population does, you're not going to learn these things unless you have parents that learn these things, unless your parents make you sit with their financial advisor and learn these things. You will not know like our, and I'm a little bit anti our current government and how they lead us. Uh, so I'll just give that as a little context, my listeners know, but you may not know, Alec, but bottom line is like, they're doing a shitty job. And I don't think that they uh, teach us this stuff on purpose because they want us to be slaves to the current corporate structures that we have, which is just spend money and make the Uber rich even richer. So uh, the more that this message can get out from you, from us, from anyone that's that knows anything about the basics of financials, just how to understand your bank account, how to understand how to write a check, how to understand credit, what credit means to you getting like you said, an example, getting an apartment a guy that just got bonus $15 million and can't get an apartment because he doesn't have credit like that's crazy. Uh, so just the fundamentals of that stuff that we're not taught 
and need to be taught to understand how to operate in a daily life is so, so important. So I love, love the mission. For any of you that are listening uh, that also love this mission, where can they uh, where can they go to find the Ingold Family Foundation and make sure they can donate? Yeah, uh, it's alecingold.com. So hopefully it's easy to remember. There's a foundation tab right there. You can make a donation. You can reach out. You can become a volunteer. We have a million different ways you guys can get involved, and we're in need of all the help that we can get. But, um, yeah, man, it's it's cool. We're, we're able to teach these kids how to fish, right? We're not just feeding them fish. We're teaching them how to fish, and they're going to take it from there. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's just really cool. Well, what I love is, you know, you, you got nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year, which – Personally, I love that that award for philanthropic efforts was named after one of the greatest NFL players of all time that happened to play for my favorite team. But uh, and he he obviously did great things and his family's continued to do great things ever since uh, his passing as well. But uh, what I love about the NFL is they have bred uh, a philanthropic arm because you guys do have notoriety because you cross all boundaries of race of socioeconomic uh all the different things that we try and put barriers up around or or draw lines on of you know or the color of our skin and and what how much money we have or religion the nfl crosses all those boundaries right uh and you'll be able to impact. So I, I worked on HaHa Clinton Dix's uh, board uh, when he was in the NFL, and he played for both the Packers and the Bears, uh, ironically. Um, and I was able to donate uh, money to uh, fund a library here at a, a school in Madison that had the largest reading gap. And to see those kids light up when he came in uh, was so cool. And he spoke for 10 minutes, and then he read a book in the brand-new library that we over oversaw. And I know that you have that that same effect when you walk into a room because most of these kids uh, will never meet an NFL player. But then that NFL player is actually teaching them something they can use in their, their daily life makes it all that much more impactful. So I really, I just want to say that I love that about the NFL. Now, what have you done? Because listeners may want to know this too, because there's also been some bad things about some charitable stuff. Uh, Whether with the Brett Favre thing's true or not, don't know. But what have you done to safeguard to make sure that your charity, uh, because I know the wise people that you put around you, but just if we can talk about that, to make sure that your charity is getting the focus to the people that you intended it for. Yeah, I think, you know, starting small was the big thing. We started with a mission on just helping and volunteering. So to be able to get your your foundation started, founded, got the right CPAs in, involved, you get the right people in the right spots. Um, you know, I think that's the first step and not having like an overly ambitious, like I'm going to try and raise a bajillion dollars so that I can donate over here, like, no, let's, let's have a mission and an impact and a, and a purpose behind what we're going to do. And to be able to work through all of those blueprints, one at a time, you used to talk about money, mini camp being three or four years old. You have football camps that are three or four years old too, with tiny budgets, but the focus is on the kids. It's on the one kid. It's on the one kid that you can change their life. And once we get a groove, once you have the photos, once you have the videos, once you have the marketing capabilities, once you have an understanding of that space, that philanthropic space, that's sustainable. I didn't want to, you know, have a, a foundation for the six, seven, eight, ten years that I'm in the NFL, and then it's gone because we're just showing face, throwing up the peace sign, and then leaving. You know, I think it was it was a little bit more than that. It was a passion project. It's a lifelong of giving, of creating a community. So 
having those baby steps and really understanding the space first and then growing one piece at a time. I think that was kind of the process and the thought uh, behind everything that we did. Well, that's cool. I mean, you're beginning with the end of mind, which is one of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, which is to make sure that whether you had a two-year career or a 20-year career, that this was going to last far beyond your NFL career and it's something you could pour into the rest of your life. So that's beginning with the end of mind, folks, and that's what you have to do, whether it's starting a charitable endeavor, whether it's setting out your vision or your goal plan for your life no matter what it is, that's, that's good stuff. So let's talk about your book. So what's, what's cool about Alec guys is, is he's not just in the NFL. He's not just doing this, his charitable foundation. He's actually taken the time to pour out of his own mind and become an author. Most would probably say, now I, we know there's an off season, but I know from being a football player that off, off season, and I again, wasn't in the NFL, but know that off season is making sure that your body is healed and ready and better for the next season. Uh, so I'm going to start with first, where did you, how did you schedule i'm not gonna say find the time how did you schedule the time to go and write a book uh at so, such a young point and busy point in your life man i think it was you know i i had torn my acl right so i tear my acl in a contract year i'm in the dumps i'm trying to figure out how the heck i'm gonna do it once again i'm reaching out to the people around me mentors peer mentors guys that are in the league younger than me older than me that have also torn their acls and they really reached out and they're like man we just journaled got those feelings out on a piece of paper so we could have consistent rehab, just like you said, in the off season to, to improve, to get your body right. So that you can come back. So, okay. So I'm going to start journaling. I'm going to start writing these things out. And then I kind of, I'm, I'm on those training tables, right. And I'm just straightening my leg. That's all I'm doing. Quad sets. I'm reading every personal development book I can get my hands on, you know, whether it's grit, whether it was lead for God's sake, whether it was any Ryan holiday stoicism, like I had all of it down, right. I'm, I'm making a little library over here. And I start to realize that all these messages are exactly what coaches have been telling me for my entire life. I'm like, man, they're, they're reading these same books. Like the, all these messages are the same. And then I start understanding that it's kind of impacting how I'm journaling. I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I write my own book. Maybe I figure out how to, I know the answers to the test and how I need to come back from this ACL and what it takes to be successful. So let's write a book about it. Let's write a book about going through adversity, embracing it, and then overcoming it. So I sit down on my computer, I start a Google doc and I get to like 500 words. I'm like, there's no shot. There's no shot. I'm writing this whole book in, in a Google doc form. No way. So I start audio files and I start journaling back and forth to work, back and forth to work, just to emotionally journal, get, get the, the emotions out of the process that I needed to the standard that I needed to hold myself to. And one thing led to another, start uh, transcribing that manuscript. You get to 30,000 words pretty quickly. And you start to be able to see like, you know, by July, I had a book ready to roll with a publisher uh, during an off season, because I wanted to give these answers to the test. Like I I've been through it before I've, whether it was high school, college, athletics, life, school, there's moments of, of adversity. And I learned different lessons from each of them. And now I'm going to apply them to this ACL. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to apply them. And then I'm going to go do it. So I sign, seal, deliver, give it out to Wiley. Um, by July, I haven't touched the football field yet. But I know that this whole publishing process, by the time it comes out in February, I will have had a successful season. 
I will have had a career high in catches. I'll have a career high in yards. I'll have a career high in snaps played um, pro football focus, whatever you want to look at. I knew it was the best. It was going to be the best year of my career before it happened because of the way that I went about it. And now I want to give you a book and I want to say, go do this yourself. This is the blueprint. This is the playbook. This is how I've done it. Here are lessons that I've learned throughout my life through this ACL. Now go take this and run with it and go change your life and go be the best version of yourself. So that's the entire premise of the book. Really. It was, it was how I wrote it. It really came out fast. That creative tension was kind of built in me. I had a purpose about it. Uh, it's quick. It takes you about two hours to read, but I think it's, you don't want to put it down once you pick it up. That is so awesome. I, I want to, you guys hear that? That's that the power of intention and power of manifestation. Like you, you went and like, first of all, journaling is therapeutic. That was great advice you got. It is very therapeutic. When I, when I went through, you know, hell and back two years ago, almost two years ago now, um, journaling was very therapeutic. It sucked in the moment. I don't know if you felt that it, yeah. really, it really was torturous in the moment, but looking back on it, I can read two words on a page and it'll pull me right back to that moment. And, and you have a different perspective on it now from the other side, right? You did have, you know, career highs and in, in catches and yards and all the different stuff. Whereas, you know, I have come out the other side, a better man, and I have a better life than I did two years ago. And, but but you, in the moment, it sucks. So I want, I want to tell people that is if, you, if you're going through it right now and you're in the dumps, like Alec was, like I've been, and, and you're so, okay, we hear you, or, or I'm in a journal, just know it's going to suck in the moment. But it is therapeutic as well to get those thoughts out on paper. Now, whether you write a book or it's just a journal you stick on a shelf, uh, just know it is therapeutic. But what Alec did was did it with intention. He he. In, he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you how to do it. Uh, I'm going to go do it. And now I want you to go do it. So he's given you the playbook uh, and leading by example in the process. And he manifested all those great things to have happened. So let's talk. The book is called, I didn't mention this, Seven Crucibles. Um, full disclosure, I haven't had the chance to read it yet, but I did get the Seven Crucibles. And, and the favorite one I got out of there was Grind Set. So, so what, what are the seven crucibles? And then I want you to, I want you to talk about grind set a little deeper because it's cool as shit. Yeah, no, I think uh, the crucibles are really just different phases in my life that, that I've had to overcome. And, you know, if you want to talk about competing, competing the right way, having a proper perspective, having that grind set, being able to be a leader, whatever you're, you're feeling it, it, it progresses through the entire book. Right. And, and that timeline kind of goes through it. Grind set is one of those things where, man, it was, a it was a word that, you know, you talk about mindset and you talk about, I talked to David Meltzer's big on heart set, having your heart set in the right place. But then I'm like, okay, how do you embrace the, the grind and all of this? Cause it's tough. It's hard. It's not fun. It's yeah. uncomfortable. And that grind set is really just owning your entire process, owning where you're at, accepting your, your wins, your losses, your point A, whether you're in a valley or a peak, wherever you're at, like take inventory, accept it, embrace it. Don't hide anything. Don't leave anything in the closet. Like bring it all out there. This, this is who you are. And this is where you're wanting to go. All right, let's grind. Let's go through it. Let's align your mind, body, spirit, emotions, 
whatever it takes, you're going to be willing to put yourself through fire to be able to come out the other side. And it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. You're willing to do it for a year, two years, a decade, two decades. It doesn't matter because that purpose is so strong. The motivation, the intentions are so strong that you're willing to grind. You're willing to accept that uncomfortableness. You're willing to take that first step out of the comfort zone and chase something. So that's what a grind set is. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hey, as we wrap up here today, I want to make sure um, we get this out there because you've been through a lot of adversities and you overcome them. And a lot of that has been your grind set. And that's no pun, like literally it's its mindset and he's aligning his heart, soul and, and body. Uh, but if someone's if someone wants to do something today, like whether they're like you said, in a peak or a valley, what can be done today to begin overcoming the adversities they're facing, whether it's business, life, injury, heartache, whatever it may be, where do you think their their first step is? I think understanding that it's it's going to take courage. It's going to be uncomfortable to take that first step. I think the one thing that everyone can do today is pick up the phone and call somebody and tell them you love them. I think it's going to take a village. It's going to take people. It's going to take people that you care about and truly invest in to get to where you want to go. And it's hard to pick up the phone, man. I, you know, I don't call my parents as much as I should. I don't call, you know, people that have have blessed me in my life as much as I should. Um, But if you call somebody, tell them you love them and you have a raw, authentic conversation about what you're actually trying to accomplish in life, man, that's somebody that's going to hold you accountable. That's somebody that's going to trust and believe in you. And then you open up that line of communication and then you're there for them too. And that's that community. That's that network that you can build to lean on. And those are the people in your corner that, that matter, that are the ones that, that add value to your life. And man, I think that's something that it could be easy. It can take 10 seconds, five seconds to do, but it's hard to do, right? It's hard to pick up that phone and really um, you know, pour your guts out into somebody. So no, I think if you can call somebody, tell them you love them. I think that's something that you could do right now today, pick up the phone and it can really catapult your life in ways that you can't even imagine. Yeah. It's like care and be cared for. It's like, allow yourself to be cared. That, that's a, that's a tough part. I think for a lot of people is you can care, but do you open yourself up enough to be cared for? You can give help, but do you actually ever ask for help? Mm-hmm. And these are great questions for people to ask, because I think, that it's easier for us, especially nowadays. I don't know. I don't necessarily get what changed about it, but like we're, we're so quick to care or empathize for others, but not allow ourselves to be cared or empathize for, for, for me. Right. It's, it's interesting. Uh, and I, I really want uh, people to hear your message and for, for me to reiterate in just different words that, Make sure that as you take Alex's advice to to reach out and say that you care about someone, make sure that you allow that to be reciprocated. That's the that's the beauty of communication. It's a two way street, and um, yes. it's uh, it's all about perspective. Choosing to accept it, like you're saying, and um, it, it can be more powerful than you think. Good. Well, man, you are you are such a bright light, uh, and I don't I don't say that. Uh, to, to pump you up in any certain way or, um, or fanboy in any sort of way. And I, I like, honestly, like there's not many people that I, and I've gotten the opportunity to talk to on multiple different levels in, in professional sports and in corporate at such a young age, able to do and have the mindset and perspective that you have. 
And I just want to reiterate for people the story back when Alec chose to come to see Ben Newman speak, like you've put, you're constantly putting yourself in a position to learn, to be humble and to grow and also have the courage to put yourself out there, whether it be in your charitable endeavors or write a book or, or just lead uh, when you feel like uh, leaning in. Um, so it, it's not by chance that you are this bright light. It's uh, it's because you had intention around it. And I just want that to be clear for everyone and, and to be clear to you to me. I know that you know that, but having an outside perspective that, that you are noticed, dude, and, uh, and the leadership that you're showing. And again, from being that tough nose fullback leading by example, uh, continue to do the good work. And if there's any way that I can help you, um, whether it be in the foundation or anything else, man, just let me know. I appreciate that. I appreciate the time today. It was a great talk, man. I feel like I feel grounded. I feel motivated for the rest of the week. And, uh, I really hope that th this can help the listeners and, and everyone that's, that's involved in this conversation. So I appreciate the opportunity for sure. Uh, definitely will Alex. So for everyone on here, make sure that you're sharing this episode, share Alex message, share his foundation, because it is making an impact on our youth uh, on the financial literacy front, as well as just being a good human being front, because as we know, things are caught, not taught. So when Alex impacting and showing who he is, you know, it's being caught by them to be that good human being. And remember, Spartans, as you share this episode, remember, good and great are the enemies of possible lead like a Spartan today. Thank you.